You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last time, we hope. We are back from our early summer, late spring hiatus. And my goodness, got to work some of the kinks out, take off some of the rust. But things are moving along. We got three weeks from NFL camps opening. I want to talk a little bit about quarterbacks today, of course. But you know, for the first time in a long time, we got about five, potentially six teams that have question marks at the quarterback position. I mean, legitimate question marks where you can ask to say, okay, who's starting for this team? And really don't have a straight answer for at least six teams. But some other moves that happened in the interim, uh, you know, Fitzmagic retired from the NFL. And shortly thereafter, he's going to be on the uh, Amazon Prime Thursday night coverage in the studio with Tony Gonzalez and uh, Richard Sherman and the like. So yeah, that, that was a pretty cool thing to see. In college football, big news, the LA market is moving to the Big Ten. Yes, USC, UCLA moving on to the Big Ten, which uh, a little bit of a surprise, I guess, just kind of the way it was announced and how quickly it came together. On the outside, I'm sure things were working on the inside. But uh, yeah, the Big Ten basically saying, okay, we want the L.A. market. We're going to get in uh, this arms race with the SEC. And let's see who can form the biggest, baddest super conference. So we'll talk a little bit about that, too. But I know, Alex, uh, I'll stop my uh, sermon here for a second. Uh, You wanted to talk a little basketball here. KD and Kyrie, Brooklyn. Where are these guys playing? What's going on? I don't know. The Nets obviously wanted to assemble the super team. You know, they acquired James Harden later on, and and they hoped that it was going to turn out to be another Laker dynasty or another, you know, Golden State Warriors dynasty. That certainly didn't amount to anything. I mean, KD barely played. He was injured for a year. He played for a year. He what? He was part of one playoff series with the Nets, and he realized that it's a sinking ship. And obviously, he wants to abandon that sinking ship. I don't remember a superstar bailing out so quickly after, I want to remind you, that he basically ditched the Golden State Warriors to go out east to join the the Nets. But I don't know. It's a power play once again. The NBA seems to have a lot of these. I mean, guys are running the league. They can dictate things like this. LeBron has done this for years. Does KD actually think that the Nets will trade him? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. I think the Brooklyn Nets should keep them. They should keep Kyrie as well. Maybe they can win a lot of games during the regular season. Maybe you can get something for these guys around the trading deadline or something like that. I wouldn't necessarily oblige and just, you know, get rid of them as quickly as I can. I think I would still try to fix this thing. And then tell them that, hey, maybe we can trade you around the trading deadline when, you know, your stock rises. It would be a much better business move for the Brooklyn Nets, in my opinion. Well, I mean, LeBron did certainly was at least would be credited with the mobility part of things and players kind of taking 
charge of their own careers. But LeBron never asked out of a contract. I mean, he when he went to Miami, he was a free agent, right? And, you know, you can say what you want about the decision, how they did it. But the bottom line was every time he's moved, he's been a free agent and he signed contracts that allowed him some flexibility. Well, right now, like you said, Alex, and you're 100% correct, KD's in the middle of a four-year contract. You st- he still has, I think, four years left on that deal. Brooklyn is kind of in a, in a decent position because, no, you never want to get rid of a superstar, but if the right deal comes along, I think they'll certainly make it because, you know, in basketball, you got five guys, and typically one or two guys are going to kind of dictate the team. And if KD is unhappy or you know he doesn't want to be there, you know he's going to try hard, but in the back of his mind, he's always thinking, you know, I, I want to get up out of here. Okay, Kyrie opted into the last year of his deal, and, you know, within a couple of days, KD's like, okay, I'm out of here. Even though he made the move to go to Brooklyn to play with his buddy Kyrie, and, you know, it, it's all history now. I mean, Kyrie's just a wingnut. Great basketball player, tremendous skills. He's one of the few guys that you don't need to run a lot of offense for him to score. You don't see it, you know, he doesn't need a lot of screens or picks or, you know, throwing schemes out there to get him open. He's got the ball. He's going to take it. He's going to make shots. But is he all in? Is basketball the most important thing to Kyrie Irving? I don't know. He hasn't proven that. But as far as going back to KD, yeah, I can see them making a deal. One of his destinations of choice was Phoenix. They certainly have a lot of pieces they can offer. It may not be enough. Maybe they get a third team involved because that's usually the way these bigger deals in the NBA go down. Yeah, I think they're in no rush, and I don't think, you know, they don't have a gun to their head. Both of these guys are under contract. So, hey, training camp comes along, and they haven't found a deal they like. They're going to have to show up if they want to get paid. Yeah, we'll see. But, yeah, you're right. You know, the, the NBA players have kind of taken this, and now you're starting to see it a little bit in the NFL, but not quite that degree and in much smaller numbers. But, again, you know, you can affect the team on the NBA court a lot more with one guy than you can the NFL. So it's, you know, they're the NFL teams still have a little bit more power and leverage against the players where the NBA, not so much. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, what did you make of the conference stuff or where college football is? I know this is a pro show, but you know, hell this is college football is going to be professional, you know, sooner than later. It already is in some respects. So, okay. USC, UCLA, big 10. What do you think? It's amazing how college football is turning into a game of two big conferences. Hello? Right now, I mean, you could say that all the big boys, and I'm talking about the SEC and now the Big Ten in this case, they're pulling in all the major players. They're pulling in all the teams that are making a lot of revenue, teams that are getting big-time recruits. Soon, college football is going to remind folks of, like, the NFC and the AFC in the NFL, okay? Because I think we're going to be left with just two relevant conferences and then the rest of the guys, you know, that nobody cares about, that nobody's going to watch. I'm a graduate of the Pac-12, but I watch the Pac-12 because of the big boys. USC and UCLA, they ruled the day for, for the longest time in that conference. What's going to happen next? I mean, after this move, I mean, you'll see maybe Oregon or Washington making the move. And then you'll see, you know, 
teams from the lesser conferences, the non-Power 5 conferences, you know, going to the ones that don't have any players left, like the Big 12 or the Pac-12. I always knew that college football was a big power game, that it was all about the money, but I always wanted to believe that we would have at least five power conferences in today's day because it made it interesting. I mean, you can turn on um, the Big Ten at 9 o'clock, 9 Eastern time on the Pacific Coast, you know, 12 Eastern time, and then, you know, you could watch the SEC in the afternoon, and then, you know, people that really enjoyed college football, they would stay up late and watch the Pac-12 games. Now I think it's going to be irrelevant. People are just going to watch the Big Ten and the SEC, and that's it. Everybody's going to forget about the Pac-12, the Big 12, the rest of the conferences that mattered. I feel sorry for college football, to be honest. Well, it certainly is a change and a shift. I mean, it may turn out to be better than you think, you know? And like you said, the NFL model is probably the way they're going to go. Some couple of major conferences, maybe a third. I don't know. Let's see what happens. But, you know, certainly the Pac-12 might be on life support right now. Outside of Phil Knight, um, who's going to save them? I mean, they, they did horrible in their last TV deal. Uh, the Big Ten is going to get a much larger than they did last time. In teams, they distributed like $70 million per team. It's going to go up to 100 uh, where the Pac-12, I think they got like in the 50s, and then it was prorated down for the pandemic. I mean, just just a mess. So, I mean, it's, it's an easy move for USC and UCLA. But as far as the other teams, you know, word is that the Big 12 now is on the hunt, you know, for all the other Pac-12 schools, or at least six of them. And the ones that make the most sense, Utah, Colorado, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, I think Washington and Oregon might be targets for the Big Ten, but I think they're holding out hope for Notre Dame. I mean, I, I would that would be the jewel right now. That's the biggest name that's out there. Your old school, Cal and Stanford, those seem like natural Big Ten schools, right? academic powerhouses, you know, the, the football programs kind of play the old school Big Ten way. Doesn't it just feel like Cal and Stanford belong in the Big Ten if they're going to move? Well, I think eventually it's going to happen. I just think the Pac-12 is probably going to be replaced by the lesser teams, whether it's from the, the Mountain West Conference probably comes to mind if they want to salvage. If the Pac-12 Conference wants to salvage stuff, they'll just take teams from the Mountain West Conference. I think that's going to be the logical thing to do. I don't know. How, how do you think they're going to do logistics nowadays? I mean, you're going to have to like go from, from say, Michigan, and you have to travel all the way to L.A. to go play against USC or UCLA. And this is going to be a regular thing nowadays. This is going to be a regular week. Not only a non-conference type of game before the season, before conference play. Now it's just going to be logistics is going to be all over the place. How are they going to schedule games? I mean, it's a big problem, obviously, in the NFL. You do this every week when you do the gambling segment. When the, the West Coast team travels to the East Coast and sure. has to play the early game. What's going to happen to these UCLA, USC we'll have new We'll have new trends. What, what are they going to do with a 9 a.m. kickoff? Yeah, I mean, I guess logistics is the least of their worries. I mean, with the the money that's pouring in and what the 
the players and the NIL deals that they're getting. I think that the one thing that this will do is if you have a couple of super conferences is that it'll be more governed. There'll be uh, more specific rules when it comes to NIL, what players can make, who's able to get what money and so forth. So if you have like commissioners that, you know, that have a say and can really lay down the law in these cases, I think it might be a, that would be a good thing. I think for the college football playoff, the way it is right now, Lou, it's still four teams. And if they're going to expand it to eight, then it's going to be fine. And they've talked about this. But can you imagine teams from the Big Ten and the SEC getting in with like two, three losses because of the strength of schedule that they have? And then teams like from the Pac-12, say the Oregon Ducks, who go undefeated or they go and finish the season with one loss. They're not even going to sniff the college football playoff because they're not playing anyone. If they're still in the Pacific League, right? If that league still exists. Because if these all these teams get cherry-picked and say teams like uh, Washington State, Oregon State end up in the Mountain West or one of the other West Coast conferences in the Pac, whatever. I mean, I go back to the Pac-8 that eventually became the Pac-10, Pac-12. It may just have to dissolve. Because all these teams will have been gobbled up, and there's maybe just a couple of pieces that you know are going to get left holding the bag. Now, even though Stanford and Cal aren't powerhouses as far as having uh, playoff aspirations at the highest level, they're still quality schools that you want in your conference, and you get that San Francisco television market. Which, again, it's all about this and how much money they can get from Fox and ESPN and whoever else wants to get in. Amazon at some point, Apple TVs getting into the MLS now, and they're bidding on other things. So everything is kind of evolving and changing. You you follow the money. And like you said, it may not be where they keep this college football playoff. It may just be more like an NFL model, whereas, okay, the top four from each conference get in the playoffs like you said go to eight and then they just go through and you know crown a champion yeah i mean money talks the if the players are getting paid the coaches certainly are making a ton of cash the schools are getting a ton of money that is really going to help them now again it's not going to lower ticket prices it's not going to do anything like that but the schools are going to be able to fund all their other programs that they ordinarily wouldn't be able to the other sports where i know pac-12 was certainly considering cutting a lot of sports because of the less money that the that the football programs were getting from their tv deal for the regular fan i think college football is going to suffer It's different. It's certainly going to be different. And I think the rest of the conferences will suffer, even if they dissolve, but in the short term, like the Pac-12, the ACC, the Big 12, conferences that have kind of ruled the day in a way. They're not going to seem relevant unless they join the Big 10 or the SEC. They're almost going to say like, hey, Clemson, you want to play with the real boys? Then you got to join the SEC if you want to get to the college football playoff. (laughs) Hey, Stanford and Washington, do you want to join the Big Ten or are you going to be left out? The money talks, like you say. Absolutely. And they want to join these conferences because, again, the TV money is so much greater. Because if they stay where they are, they're dead. Seriously, and you hate to say that, but you almost uh, would have to go, I don't know, you bring soccer into this, almost like an EPL model 
where teams will get relegated and other teams are able to kind of play their way into the ba- the major conferences. You know, there's a lot of ways this can go, but if you've got these super conferences with like 20, 24 teams each, and then everybody else kind of can they they can do their own thing and they have an opportunity to get in the major conferences, maybe that that works. But again, you're going to have just programs that are going to go all in, say this is what it is. This is how we're going to make the most money. Let's go into the super conference, play in the whatever, the elite eight or whatever they want to call it, you know, going forward, try to champion that way. And and then it's just you play it, you do it on the field. And there won't be so much about, well, strength of schedule and this. Everybody's playing the same team. So whatever. It's like the NFL. Strength of schedule means nothing. You know, it's your record and who's at the top. Well, I hope you're right. I hope it works out for the best and, you know, this model will bring even more exposure to college football. As a fan myself, I don't like it. Yeah, story that's not going away. So either you either like change or you don't, and this is certainly changing. Speaking of changing, uh, we'll talk about uh, some other quarterback moves, but uh, Baker's got a new team. Finally, at long last, uh, you know, everybody was saying, well, it's Carolina, Carolina, Carolina. Well, Cleveland finally said, okay, we'll pay 10 of the 18 million, whatever, that's guaranteed to Baker. Carolina says, all right, we're going to pay 5 million. Maybe that was their number all along, right? And until Baker said, yeah, I'll take a $3.5 million pay cut, Cleveland says, we'll pay 10 million. Okay, Carolina makes the deal. They give up a conditional fifth round pick, I believe, in 2024. They traded more to move up to get Matt Corral. So Baker's basically being given away a a number one pick just a few years ago. And you got to believe that this is more of his off-field persona and all the antics than it was about his play. His play, I mean, no way does it measure up to a number one overall pick or what Cleveland thought they were going to get. Right, he did have some high spots, but you know he had some pretty low low moments as well. This doesn't clear anything up at this point, does it? I mean, I don't think he's the starter going in. You know, you can't just say, okay, he's going to be our starter. Sam's been here the whole preseason, brand new offensive coordinator. Baker's behind the eight ball here. Do you think he's got a shot? I think he'll win the starting job right that's away. Just, yeah, that's who Baker is. Okay, I mean, when he's been healthy. He's been an above-average starting quarterback, all right? And considering what Carolina gave up for him and considering what they're paying him, and they're paying him even less money than good backup quarterbacks make in this league. $5 million. Well, it's It's nothing. Exactly. So they, he has nothing to lose. And this is who Baker is. He's always had a chip on his shoulder. Going to Texas Tech as a walk-on, losing his job there, going to Oklahoma, winning the starting job there, becoming the number one overall pick. Now he knows he's down and out, okay? Everybody's forgotten about him. I'm not saying Baker is great NFL quarterback, but he's certainly been a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. So the Browns got that one right. They should have gone with Josh Allen, obviously, but out of those two quarterbacks, they got it right. So I do think he's going to be the starting quarterback because during the four years that Darnold has been in the league, he has proven to be a below-average quarterback. Just look at his numbers. And Corral, I mean, he's a young guy, a young quarterback. I think Baker, considering everything that he has, knowing that Matt Rule is fighting for his job, 
I think that coaching staff is going to go with Baker to say that, hey, McCaffrey is going to carry the day. I think we have some weapons there at wide receiver. We have a good defense. Baker, just don't screw this up. The year before last year, he got hurt. Baker led the Browns to the playoffs with a good team around him. I think he can do the same thing in um, in Carolina. So I'm a believer here. I think this is a good spot for him. This is like a prove it deal for him for a year. He knows that he has to play well in order to catch on somewhere else. If it's not in Carolina, then I like this move for both parties, for Baker and for Carolina and Matt Rule. Baker for sure, I think, because I don't. Th- he wasn't going to have a real legitimate shot to start anywhere else. You know, perhaps Seattle, but I, it didn't seem like they were ever really going to go all in for that type of quarterback after Pete kind of saw what it was like having that quarterback who was better known than the rest of the team. I don't think he wants to play that. He, want, he wants just the guy like Geno or Drew Locke to be the starter so that they're going to we're going to run the ball, we're going to play defense, whatever. Okay, now we get to Baker. I don't see him being a good backup. So he has to win this job, right? Because if somehow Darnold, just because he has a better understanding of the offense, better relationships with the players that are there, somehow they just say, Sam's the better choice. Can you keep Baker on the squad? Is he going to be a supportive backup quarterback? Or is he going to be just who he is? (laughs) Like, Do they need to get rid of him and just kind of bring Corral along? That's the thing that, that, that kind of scares me about this. But Darnold hasn't shown any ability to say that he's going to be that guy. And, okay, let's project further. Baker's the starter. Can you keep Sam there as the backup? Would he be a, a backup quarterback, somebody that is going to be supportive of the starter, not angling, just trying to find any way he can to get back in the starting lineup? It's, it's a tough one. And Matt Rule is probably on the hottest seat of any coach as it stands right now. They've shown no propensity to keep anybody. I mean, they traded for Bridgewater. Uh, They brought Cam back and got rid of him. They got rid of Bridgewater. The offensive coordinator, they handpicked the up-and-coming star from LSU. Let's be be the He's out. Now McAdoo's in there. McAdoo's on record of not liking Darnold or Baker, any of these guys, when they were coming out. He liked Josh Allen. He liked Lamar Jackson, whatever. This is going to be very interesting. The Panthers, I think, are in a really bad place. I don't know that Rule survives this just because of the inconsistency of the quarterback play and the offensive line. Uh, McCaffrey can't stay healthy. So I don't know, even if Baker wins the job, if he's going to have the supporting cast to, I guess, elevate his play enough to get a bigger deal next year. That's another concern that I have with this. Now, hey, there's only 32 jobs, so he's got to take it. So hopefully he can make it work. The Panthers yeah. are desperate. Okay, we know why. Well, yeah, they're doing absolutely. It. They're desperate. Both of them. Desperate times. You bring in another quarterback that has been run out of town in Cleveland, the former number one overall pick. I don't think you can afford to release both guys because no. Remember, Sam Darnold hasn't proven that he can stay healthy for a full season. Baker hasn't proven that he can stay healthy for the you know the past couple of years. So. If one of them goes down, you need to have the other in this case. And so I think they're going to keep both, in my opinion, even if 
obviously one of these guys is going to lose the starting job, but they need to keep both in order to kind of survive, stay afloat. It would be tough to throw the rookie in there unless you absolutely have to. So it's not the wrong move to bring Baker in, I don't think, because of really not taking a huge shot. I think, you know, again, $5 million. And again, it is guaranteed. So it's not like if you cut them, all right, pro rate and all this other bullshit. You know, no, that's not going to happen. It's $5 million. So like we said, for a potential starting quarterback where, you know, 30 million, 35, 40, 50 million, you know, for the top of the market, it's certainly a bargain. Uh, Hopefully that offensive line is better this year and they're not running for their lives regardless of who it is. And yeah, from their perspective, they need both. I'm just curious as how that would work internally in the locker room when, you know, one of these guys is going to be really, really pissed off. And I can't see, it just boggles my mind that if Baker doesn't win the job sitting there as the backup that he is going to be okay we'll see the question is if Watson gets suspended for the whole year does then Cleveland make a move for Jimmy G doesn't Cleveland have Brissett? they do and I think the idea was when they signed him is hey if Deshaun's out four or five games six games we can kind of get through it but if they know going into the season Deshaun's not playing at all I don't, Jacoby, I mean, I, I I like him as a player. He's shown that he's adequate, but he's never shown the ability to go a full season and to lead a team. So can you afford that if you're the Browns? I mean, you got, you know, a pretty decent roster. You might have a chance to make some noise with the Jimmy or, you know, somebody better than, than Jacoby Brissett. Are you really willing to, to roll the dice if you're clear? You're already paying... I don't know if Deshaun's out, what, like $60 million to the quarterback position for guys who aren't playing for you, but that's another story. But can you afford to go in with Jacoby knowing that he's got to be the guy for all 17 I don't have any inside information, but I do think Deshaun Watson, he won't get suspended for the entire season. I think it's going to be like half of the season, six to eight games, and I think Cleveland will swallow that and go with Jacoby Brissett for that time span out there. Brissett has been a decent quarterback in the short span. He has proven that. He has started in this league. The Browns have a good team. I think they'll roll with Brissett instead of, you know, trading for Jimmy G, who we're not sure is going to be healthy. Plus, you have to pay him a lot of money. Cleveland isn't stupid, okay? They're already paying Big, no, They're not? No, I don't think so. Look, <laughs> they gave a guy that's that, that might is going to get suspended two hundred thirty million dollars guaranteed because that's the only way. They're paying another guy to leave town that they made the overall first pick. Now I hear what you're saying, but I can't. They're not doing this. You know very why well. they gave two hundred thirty million to Deshaun Watson? Because they, they had, had to. to. He would have never gone to. there if yeah. they wanted to secure him because yeah, he was going to go absolutely. somewhere else. Cleveland wasn't his first but choice. We, but here's the thing. But I think I, at the end of the day, they may have been negotiating against themselves. I don't know that anybody else put even half the contract on the table guaranteed. It was just like, hey, what can we do to close this? Because he had already said, hey, no, I'm, I'm not, you know, Cleveland's out. I'm not going to Cleveland, right? But, hey, here's 230 guaranteed. Hey, hello, Cleveland. Hello. Let's go. Desperate times so. <laughs> call for desperate measures. Ab- okay, absolutely. And, and Cleveland was yes. desperate because they haven't had a real quarterback in forever. 
Do you remember the last right. time that Cleveland had a decent quarterback? It was in the late 1980s. It was Bernie Kosar. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm very familiar with their their history and infamy as far as the quarterback position goes. I mean, they got to do what they got to do. And I guess that that was my thinking with, hey, if he's out for the whole year, we're all in, you know, for whatever, 60, whatever million. If we can fit this guy under the cap, let's go get him and hopefully we can maybe make some noise and get, get in the playoffs. Because otherwise we're going to sit here and watch you know, Jacoby Brissett with this great roster, and maybe we got no shot at all. We got Burrow here. We got uh, Lamar Jackson to beat. Potentially Kenny Pickett or uh, Mr. Biscuit, but we'll get to him in a bit. So is it Trey's team then? I mean, let's let's lock in on this. Can Jimmy stay there if they give Trey the starting position? Can he truly take over if Jimmy's still there and everybody appears to love Jimmy in San Francisco? I think it's Trey's team. There's a reason why they traded up to get him at number three. I think I've said this over yes. and over and over again. But can it truly be his team if Jimmy's still there and has a lot of favor in that locker room? I think room? they can make it work because I don't think anybody is going to trade for Jimmy. And I don't think the 49ers are willing to just cut Jimmy loose and eat that dead money. So I think Jimmy is here to stay and he's going to be the backup quarterback to Trey Lance. I hear what you're saying, that it could have a negative effect on the young guy, but I think he's strong enough to do it. He can withstand it. He's the starting quarterback, and I think Jimmy is going to be a very good backup quarterback that will help him in his development. So regardless of what it has been in the past, the fact that Jimmy G has been the starting quarterback here, he knows the writing is on the wall. And to be honest with you, with all the quarterback positions being taken... I just don't see that there's a spot for Jimmy G anywhere in this league. Again, the 49ers aren't stupid. They're not going to eat that dead money. No, they are not. I'll be on record of that. They're pretty well managed. Well, obviously you think Cleveland is mismanaged, but... (laughs) Cleveland is not. You know, but, you know, San Francisco is doing well. I think Jimmy G is there to stay as a backup quarterback. Trey Lance takes over as the week one starter. I mentioned Mr. Biscuit, that's uh, affectionately Mitch Trubisky, and Kenny Pickett. So Tomlin's on record as saying that Pickett will have every opportunity, and obviously they brought in Mitch Trubisky to be kind of that bridge guy before they, you know, they drafted Kenny Pickett. What do you think happens here at the end of the day? Trubisky would have to win this job very convincingly, right? Because if it's close... And they can go either way. Don't you have to play the young guy? Well, you did draft Pickett in the first round, but Pittsburgh is usually a good team, Lou. I mean, they're a team that has the running game. They have a good defense, so they know that they're always in the playoff hunt. And Trubisky is not going to be asked to win games, okay? He's going to be asked to manage games. I'm not sure that the rookie can have the same effect that Ben Roethlisberger had back in the day when they drafted him, like in 2004. I think they will have to roll with Trubisky, and if Pittsburgh stays in a playoff hunt, they'll roll with him for the entire year. I can't see them starting Pickett from day one. I think it's going to take time for him to to take that job, and I think we're going to have to wait till 2023 to see Kenny Pickett as the starting quarterback for Pittsburgh. Yeah, like I said, I guess my belief is, I guess if it is close, 
I think they go with Pickett. But if he like if they see clearly in camp and through the preseason games that you know Trubisky's kind of got this by the short and curlies and was is able to just kind of lead the team and they and he's kind of made those relationships with the team and he comes out kind of as the leader then I think you know it's it's his job and then like are you in the corner that if you have a young guy that you drafted in the first round regardless of a yeah. number 1 overall or top 10 or top yeah. you know 25 are you in the belief that if he's good enough and if you feel like he picks up the system fairly well I'm we're not saying that he knows it like the back of his hand but fairly well do you start the rookie over a seasoned veteran? If you're going down, you're getting into like the after the first preseason game, after the second preseason game, and it's a bit of a toss-up between the two guys, I'm certainly going to go with the rookie because let's get him out there. We took him first. He needs to get snaps. Let's let's get this let's get the wheels in motion. But if you're like through the first and second preseason game and you see the inconsistency, he's not quite getting it and the other guy is, then I'm going to go with Trubisky because he's still pretty young himself. He's only been in the league a few years and you know last year he sat out the entire year, right? He just, you know, practiced with Buffalo, maybe got a few snaps. But that's that's the way I would do it. If it's even close between the two, I'm going with the, the rookie. If it's not, then I'll go with the veteran, and then let's see what happens after three or four games. And if the younger guy's kind of now starting to pick things up, you see, you know, he's, things are making more sense to him in practice and you know in film study and so forth. Okay, but yeah, I would say go with the young guy if it's even close. All right, fair enough. For me, it depends on the situation that we're in. I could never say that I would always roll with the rookie, even if he knows the system well and is playing well. It also depends on the team and how far along am I, right? If it's a rebuilding project or am I a playoff team? I think that would also play a part in it. And as far as the Steelers are concerned, they're always vying for that playoff spot. So in this case, you know, I would go with Trubisky over Pickett. But, and you would hope that having been in the league for a few years and now he's been through the entire spring that he will just leave no doubt that, hey, I'm the guy, whatever. But that's what I'm saying. If he doesn't do that and it's close, I'm going with Pickett. All right, so we got two other teams, one for sure, Locke or Geno, and then maybe you throw in Atlanta. Does Desmond Ritter actually have a shot against Mariota? But as far as uh, Seattle's concerned, Locke or Geno, it's kind of a horse apiece to me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, you know, Locke is a little bit more in favor because he's a little bit more physically gifted, but Geno's a little more level-headed. He's never really proven that he can be a consistent starter, but again, neither has Drew Locke. This is a weird one. I don't know. I mean, Gino's been there a long time. I think the the locker room rallies around him. I don't know if that's enough. Is Locke good enough to supersede that just through talent? But I get the sense that Pete just didn't want to have like a superstar quarterback that everybody was clamoring for. I think the let Russ Cook stuff ate him alive, that it wasn't the way that he wants to play football and not that he had anything against Russell Wilson, but just 
how much shine he was kind of bringing and distraction and everything else to the way that he wants to play that it made it a little easier to move away from him. I don't know if that really answers anything because Gino and, and, and Drew Locke, but is his defense as good as it used to be? No, not really. So I don't know. Are they tanking here? Are they really looking for the quarterback of the future and next yeah, year's Yeah, I think draft? they're definitely tanking because – Losing Russell Wilson, I mean, Pete Carroll is going to lose all of his hair this season by watching Geno Smith and Drew Locke take snaps from under center. Yeah, I think Seattle is tanking here. I think they're hoping they get the number one overall pick or a top five pick and grab that quarterback in next year's draft because Geno Smith knows the system, and I think he will be the starter to open the season. But when Seattle starts losing games, you know that management and Pete Carroll are going to be clamoring for Drew Locke just to see what they have there. And so Drew Locke and Geno Smith will both start. I just can't imagine like Seattle winning a lot of games. They're going to have a top five, top seven pick in next year's draft. I'm almost certain of it. And they're going to wish they had Russell Wilson because he's going to be doing great things with the Denver Broncos. You got Stafford, Kyler Murray. Well, you'd like to hope that Trey Lance is going to develop and be, and still, I mean, even if I'll just go with Trey's potential, and they still have the fourth best quarterback in that division as far as Seattle's concerned. So I think it's going to be a long year for them. I think DK probably is not really thinking, does he want the extension? Sure, you want the security of the money, but my God, is he going to really put up any numbers with those guys chucking the ball his way? Unless, again, he has faith in next year's draft pick and they you know come away with like a C.J. Stroud or you know one of these other young guys that's, uh, that's available. And finally, Atlanta, do you think there's any, any question here? Mariota or Ritter, do you think Ritter's got a shot here? I think he's got a shot, but we have to go back to the Tennessee days, right? Arthur Smith coached Marcus Mariota with the Titans, and he was his starter. So there is some familiarity there. So I think Mariota will start in week one. If Atlanta loses a lot of games early, you'll see Ritter. So it's kind of like, to me, it's the same situation like in Seattle. Geno Smith will start. Then we'll see Drew Locke as well. I think it's going to be the same thing. Marcus Mariota hasn't proven to be the winner as a starting quarterback in this league. He's average. I mean, that's what he is. He's a backup. But with the familiarity with Arthur Smith and that system that he runs, he's going to give him the leg up. But if Atlanta loses, you know, four, five, six games to start the season, you'll definitely see Desmond Ritter in there, especially if, you know, there have been some really positive reports coming out of OTAs that he has picked up the system and he understands the scheme and you know he's very level-headed he's mature he's a leader so you like to hear those things as far as rookies are concerned so I think Ritter is going to get a shot like in the second half of the season yeah more than likely you know I I would agree with that it just seems weird I can't remember the last time there was this many teams that had this big a question mark at quarterback going into camp. Now, there's many teams out there that would like an upgrade at their quarterback position, but they have a clear starter. As far as teams that you say, okay, who's the starting quarterback at Pittsburgh? I, I don't think you can say right now. Maybe, you know, you, I'm sure if you ask that question to Steeler fans, you might get a 50 50 split. Uh, the Browns, you know, let's see what happens with Watson. Uh, San Francisco, yeah, you'd like to think it's Trey. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. 
Carolina, that's just forget it. That's a roll of the dice at best. Uh, Seattle, eh, again. So, yeah, it should be an interesting summer. Let's see if any of these teams name a full-time starter a few weeks into camp. We're still, you know, three weeks from even getting to camp. So there you go. All right, Alex, before we leave, I just wanted to... I saw this note today, and it and this isn't a football-related term, but uh, 50th anniversary of the release of the original Godfather movie. And, you know, a lot of the living actors were talking about it and so forth earlier in the spring, and it was great to hear. I mean, one of my favorite movies, and the second one was right up there, too, top five. But uh, James Caan passed away today. He had some big roles in sports movies, Jonathan E. in Rollerball, uh, Brian Piccolo in Brian's Song, and of course, his you know greatest role that he ever played was Sonny Corleone in The Godfather. So just wanted to say, rest in peace. He was one of my favorite actors. It was always a great interview, too. Uh, be on with Rich Eisen, or, you know, different people like that, talking about sports, about the movies that he's been in, some of the shows he's been in. But uh, I saw that, just wanted to make the mention today. James Conn, rest in peace. Anyway, uh, we're back, right? We took a little hiatus there, but we are back in full swing. Uh, like I said, camps are opening up in about three weeks, a lot of stuff going on. So uh, we will be back soon. For Alex, I'm Lou. Till next time. Ooh.